to James. The book of James, we started a little series last week, and there's an outline in your um, bulletin, and you can kind of follow along if you'd like. There may be some points that will help you. But just keep your Bibles open to James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And, And this morning, I want us to look at what God has to say about man's oldest problem. It's called temptation. It goes all the way back to Adam. In fact, we all eventually face it at one time or another. It doesn't matter whether you're old or... Well, take a look at this and see how early temptation hits us.
How many of you relate to that in any way? You can think of your own marshmallow at this time. You know, sometimes, even when we know what we ought to do, we don't do it. And when we know what we shouldn't do, it's hard to, to respond the right way. In fact, years ago, when you probably heard this statement made, Oscar Wilde said, I can withstand anything except temptation. The Bible talks about two different kinds of testing. One is called trials. And uh, the other is called temptation. It's interesting, in the original language, the same word is used in the Greek. But to distinguish them, trials are situations that are designed by God to help us grow, to help us mature in our faith. On the other hand, temptations are designed by Satan, and he does that in order to take us down, in order to cause us to sin, in order to try to get us to fail. James chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man or woman or person who endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. He's saying there, there is a crown, there is a prize, a reward, if you can endure temptation, if you can come out on top, you'll be blessed. And the word there simply means you'll be happy. Happiness comes from having our life under control so that there are no bad habits that uh, are devastating us. You know, happiness comes when you can say no to temptation and uh it just makes you feel good. James also says that there's a crown of life. In the Greek, this literally means life itself. James says, when you understand temptation, when you overcome temptation, when you learn to say no, then you begin to really live. It's a crown, which he says is life. But not just life, it's an abundant life. It's a life that's filled with meaning and happiness. The question is, how? How do I handle temptation? How do I say no when I really want to say yes? Well, James is kind of in your face. He's the practical apostle, and so he just states it right off. He says, here are five principles to help you handle temptation. And I want us to look at those this morning. And the first one is, be realistic. Be realistic about it. In verse 13, he says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. Fact of life, friends, you will be tempted. Yes, even Christians are tempted. Every one of us is tempted from time to time. In fact, in verse 13, James doesn't say, if you're tempted, but he says, when you're tempted. Have you ever met kind of a, a pious person, so to speak, who says, basically, I just thank God that I haven't been tempted for the last 40 years or so. That's what you get when you cross a crocodile with an abalone. A crock of baloney. <laughs> you see, everybody is tempted. You're tempted. I'm tempted. Every day we live with temptation, and you never get too old for it. You never overcome it by getting too spiritual. Every one of us has to deal with it. In fact, the closer you grow toward the Lord, the more you're going to be tempted. That doesn't sound right, but think about that. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you're going to be tempted. Here's the deal. If you're living for the devil, he doesn't have to tempt you anymore. 
But if you're living for Jesus, he'll do everything he can to bring you down. It's a fact of life. Reality is, you will be tempted. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the author says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And you need to circle or underline common to man. And that simply means we're all in the same boat. We all have the same temptations. We all deal with the same problems. Don't be surprised or shocked. Don't try to hide it. The truth is, some of you here this morning are caught in some area of temptation in your life. And actually, it's kind of a liberating fact to know that there are others here who are going through the same kind of problems you're dealing with. Other believers in Jesus Christ who are struggling with the same things you are. We all have the same problems. We all deal with the same problems. They've done studies and they've discovered that people living outside in the world deal with the same problems that Christians do. Just because you're born again doesn't mean you're not going to have to deal with those problems. Now, here's the good news. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to give in to that temptation. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, just as you and I are, and yet he was without sin. He was perfect. He, he was tempted, but he never gave in. So it's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to give in to temptation. You know, I meet a lot of Christians, and I have over the years, who are intimidated by temptation. They think, how in the world, now that I'm born again, now that I'm, quote, filled with the Spirit, I'm living for Jesus Christ, how in the world can, can, can I have these kind of thoughts? Well, your basic dilemma is you're human. By the way, question, how many of you are human today? Look, uh, is that person sitting next to you? How, how are they doing? I think we're all probably human. You see, temptation simply proves you're human, not that you're evil. So remember, it's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to give in. And also realize the more committed you are to Jesus Christ, the more you're going to have to deal with temptation. Secondly, be responsible. You need to be responsible. Just accept responsibility. Don't blame other people for your problems. You know, we love to play the blame game. We try to blame everyone. We even blame God. And listen to what James says in verse 13. When you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God doesn't tempt us. But we have to find someone to blame. Will Rogers said, you can summarize American history into two great movements. The passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. And you know, we live in an irresponsible society. Blame society. Blame the government. Blame the environment. Blame your second grade teacher. Blame heredity, blame your parents, blame your kids, blame your spouse, blame the devil, even blame God. You know, some people say, well, it must be God's will or he wouldn't have allowed this to happen in my life. Well, that's calling or blaming God. 
I had a guy, a guy tell me, uh, and he, he came to me face to face. He looked me right in the eye and he said, you know, God told me to leave my wife and marry someone else that I met in church. That's called blaming God. Don't make your bad choices uh, and then blame them on God. God doesn't tempt. In fact, God never contradicts what's said in His Word. God is not going to tell you to do one thing, and you read the Bible and it tells you to do another thing. If the Bible says that something is this way, and you want to say it's not that way, then you are wrong. Be responsible. Don't blame God, and don't blame other people. It's simply a sign of immaturity. The fact is, I bring most of the problems that I have in my life on myself. And bottom line, so do you, most likely. If I'm ever going to break those bad habits that I have in my life that I need to get rid of, I need to become realistic about them. I, I need to admit that I am tempted. And then number two, I need to be responsible. I quit putting the, the blame on someone else. Thirdly, you need to be ready. You need to be prepared. When temptation comes down the pike of your life, be ready. Be prepared for it. Peter put it this way. Be on your guard. Jesus said, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. Paul said, put on the whole armor of God so that you can withstand the wiles of the devil. And after you've been pounded, you can still stand up. Be ready. Be prepared. And James says here in verses 14 and 16... Each one is tempted when, now catch this, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. And you need to circle that word, deceived. We need to be ready when temptation comes our way. You see, temptation doesn't warn you in advance. In fact, that's part of what makes it temptation. You don't know it's there, and it broadsides you. It catches you by surprise, and so you need to be on your guard. And the truth is, we are the most vulnerable after we've had a tremendous success. We're the most vulnerable when we've had success. We think, man, I'm doing okay. Things are on top. We're, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. In fact, we even become smug and get a little pride. But the scripture says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. I think of Bobby Leach. He went over Niagara Falls in a barrel and came out totally unharmed. And a couple weeks later, he was walking along and slipped on an orange peel and broke his leg. You see, it's the little things in life that'll get you. And James is said, saying, be ready. Don't be deceived. But then he goes on and he, he tells you how temptation works. And I think it's really important for us to understand this. How do you prepare for temptation? How do you get ready for it? Simply by understanding how it operates. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. In other words, we are aware of how he operates. God wants you to know how he operates. He wants you to know how Satan will tempt you. The only good thing that you can say about Satan is he's totally consistent. He's totally consistent. 
He's been using the same old bag of tricks for thousands of years now. And it's easy to discover his process. And you need to understand that temptation is a process. It's never just a, a one-time act. James outlines four steps, and you need to understand those steps in order to overcome Satan. Step one is desire. Desire. Listen to what he says in verse 14. But each one is tempted when? By his own evil desire. And the first step of temptation is desire. It's an inside job. Actually, most desires are okay. For example, you have a desire to eat, to drink, to sleep. The sexual desire, the desire to accomplish things, the desire to be successful. God gives these desires to us. They're, they're gifts from God. But any desire out of control becomes destructive in our lives. And Satan loves to take routine desires and turn them into runaway desires. Just think about it. Are you consumed with some desire? Are you obsessed? And it could be anything. Food, work, having fun, sex, money, doesn't matter. Legitimate desires, when they're out of control, become a problem, a major problem in our lives. If it weren't for the inward desire, then we wouldn't be tempted. And you see, it starts on the inside. Often it's simply the fulfillment of a legitimate desire in the wrong way, at the wrong time, and it always starts with that desire. The second step is deception. Deception. Notice what he says. He is dragged away and enticed. He's dragged away and enticed. And, and James uses a couple of words right there from the sporting world. The word dragged away was a word that was used by hunters. And it lit, literally means snagged or snared in a trap. Enticed is a fisherman's term. And it means lured by bait. The secret to great fishing is the bait that you use, the right kind of bait for the right kind of fish. How many fish are you going to catch with no bait? You've got to put bait on it, and you need to use the right kind of bait to catch the right kind of fish. So let me be personal. What kind of bait does the enemy use on you? You see, he knows your hot button. He knows every weakness that you have. He knows you inside and out. He knows what turns you on. He knows what you're going to fall for. He hides his bait and then on a hook, and then he puts it out there for you right by your weakness. The crazy thing is that often we see the hook, we see the bait, we understand that it's a temptation and still we play around with it. We keep on nibbling. People say to me, Larry, back off. I know what I'm doing. I can handle this. I'm an adult. I'm not going to get hurt. I know how far I can go. And that person is absolutely deceived. They've gone to step two, deception. You see, it always starts with that desire. And then Satan moves from that desire into this deception. Temptation always looks better than it really is. I'll guarantee you. It always looks better than it really is. Desire turns into deception 
But deception then moves into disobedience. Then, after desire is conceived, he says in verse 13, it gives birth to sin. What begins in your mind, friends, will result in an action in your life. It starts in your imagination. The battle starts with your thoughts. Then it moves from your thoughts into actions. Basically, Satan gets your attention. And then he gets you to have an attitude. And then he gets you to commit the action. He knows that if he can get your attention, ultimately, he can cause you to act. People say, well, what's the danger in some harmless fantasy? That's not going to hurt anyone. What starts in your mind eventually plays out in your life. You flirt with it, and you'll fall for it. You flirt with it, and you will fall for it. That's the whole purpose behind television advertising. They try to get you to imagine something. And they know that if they can get your imagination, they've got you. If it didn't work, there'd be no television advertising out there. And we're silly to think that's not true. The Bible says what starts in your mind eventually comes out in your lifestyle. So you have a desire. It leads to deception. And then deception leads to disobedience, and disobedience leads to death. Notice what he says in verse 14. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. That's the tragic, the tragedy of giving in. That's what losing the battle causes in our lives. What is death? Well, obviously, the opposite of life. If you overcome temptation, you get the crown of life. But the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. Spiritual separation from God. And you don't have to stop breathing to not have life, friends. James says, we are free to choose any way we desire to live. That's a gift that God has given every one of us. The freedom of choice. Yeah, I can live any way I want. But I'm not free to choose the consequences of my choices. I'm free to have my kicks, but I can't stop the kickbacks that come with them. You see, I'm free to make my choices, but I'm not free to have my consequences. So James says, in order to overcome temptation, in order to break any habit that you have, any bad habit, I've got to be realistic. I have to simply say, Lord... Here's my problem. Then I need to be responsible. I've got to quit playing the blame game and blaming others and making excuses. And then I get ready by understanding what happens when temptation comes so I can learn how to avoid it. And then, it's amazing, all of a sudden in verse 17, James seems to switch gears. He seems to go in a totally different direction than he's been going. He starts talking about the goodness of God. It looks like he forgot what he was talking about at first. Look at verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James is talking about temptation, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about the goodness of God. Whoa. First he's talking about something so negative and then, just like that, he starts talking about something positive. Obviously, he's simply refocusing our attention. 
helping us to move away. Why? Because the next step in overcoming temptation, be realistic, be responsible, be ready, and then be refocused. We need to refocus where we're headed. You see, if temptation begins with our inner thoughts, then changing what we think about is the key to overcoming temptation. And it's the principle of replacement. The key to overcoming temptation is not to fight temptation, but simply refocus your thought process. Change your attention. Turn your attention to something else. Start to think about something different. Change your mind. Refocus. Instead of looking at what you're being tempted by, look somewhere else. In fact, Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says, Think on these things, things that are good, positive, wholesome, just, holy, honest. Focus your mind on the goodness of God. Why? Because the more you fight a feeling, the more that feeling will grab you. Um, Have you ever tried to just not focus or, or... to focus on what the problem was to get rid of it. Now, I've done that. I, I, I came to the conclusion I have a sweet tooth that goes all the way down to my armpit. And I love ice cream. Is there anyone here who loves ice cream? I, I just love ice cream. And when I eat a bowl of ice cream, I eat a bowl of ice cream. And, and uh, so I decided, you know, I can handle it. In fact... I have ice cream in my freezer, and I can walk by that freezer, and I'm good. In fact, I can open up that freezer and look at that half gallon of ice cream, and I'm still good. You know, I got to where I could take that ice cream out, set it on the table, lift off the look in that, and still I was good. I was overcoming that stuff. And then, you know, I thought, well, if I can do this, I can take this scoop, and I can scoop that out, and I can fill it. Not, not just part of it, I can put a big bowl there. And, you know, I did. And then I took my spoon, and I just ate the whole thing. You see, that's what happens when you focus on what you're trying to get rid of. It won't work. You have to refocus. You have to get your eyes off of the temptation, get your eyes on the goodness of God. If you're a chronic worrier, it's because you're doubting the goodness of God. Whatever gets your attention gets you. Whatever you resist persists. Stop fighting it. Just refocus. Turn your back on focus. Focus on what you want. You know, I've gotten up, and it looks like it's really going to be a bad day. I know I've got some really bad stuff. And I start thinking, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will be glad in it. It's a choice to rejoice, friend. I will bless the Lord at all times, even the bad times. I will bless the Lord. His praise will continually be on my lips. Instead of saying other things, I'll just praise Jesus Christ. You know, there are things that I know I can't do, but Scripture tells me I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Get God's Word in your mind. And refocus. Quit fighting the feeling. What you resist persists. And don't try to argue with the devil. He's had a lot more experience than you have. 
In fact, he's been at it for thousands of years. When temptation calls, drop the receiver. When you refocus, it may mean physically removing yourself from that situation. Maybe you need to change the channel on the TV. Maybe you need to walk out of that movie. Maybe you need to just leave that website. Maybe you need to change jobs. Maybe you need to change that carpool. You know, Joseph was in a tempting situation, and he left his coat and ran. And if you're in a tempting situation, maybe you need to leave your coat and walk out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul says, Bad company corrupts good character. You know your weakness, and God knows your weakness. Maybe you just need to redirect it. In fact, look at what James says in verse 18. He chose to give us birth. And I want you to circle that word birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Now, he's not talking about physical birth here. He's talking, talking about being spiritually born again. A rebirth, starting over with God. And that leads to step five, be reborn. Be reborn. You know, the, the single most important principle in breaking bad habits and overcoming temptation in your life is to let God have control of your life. Get Him in your life so that He can start changing your character. Being born again gives you a new capacity to resist temptation. Every one of us has tried to resist temptation in our own strength, and we fail. We need to have supernatural power, and that's the power of God working in our lives. And that doesn't mean that uh, it's just a, a person who hasn't known Jesus Christ. I've seen problems happen with Christians just as well. In fact, I want to ask you a really personal question. You don't need to answer this, but think about it. What is the most vulnerable area in your life today? What is your weak spot? God knows it. The devil knows it. But have you ever really figured it out? If you haven't, you need to. Because if you don't know where you're weak, Satan will beat you every time. It's just stupid to put yourself in situations that will automatically test and tempt you in your weakest area. Where are you vulnerable? And, and be realistic. Where do I have a lack of self-control? Is it my temper? Is it my appetite? Is it in spending? Is it my words? Do I say things and I'm always regretting what I said before? And, and what I said always hurts someone. Is it drinking? Is it cocaine? Is it heroin? You know, I... Uh, I've been a pastor for a long time, and over the years, I, I still remember when in the Church of the Nazarene, we believed we were a holiness church, and therefore, you know, with all the help of God, we probably didn't have to worry about such sins as drinking and drugs. You have no idea how many Nazarene people I've sat with and taken them through the drug thing and, and uh, drinking. Um, a fellow in my church up in Pismo Beach was a world-class race car driver. He, he drove for uh, uh, Honda. 
he drove in the Indianapolis race a number of times. And, and as he was laying sick in bed, he was an alcoholic and his marriage was a disaster and all kinds of problems. And he had become a good friend of mine, but he was still dealing with this stuff. He couldn't drink anything except Kool-Aid at that point. And he, he looked me in the face and he said, Larry, you know, <laughs> even though I know all my problems and what I'm going through here and, and I'm having a drink, if I could have a beer right now, I would drink it. It had that kind of a, a hold on it. And, and, you know, just because you're a Christian, just because you've been filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you're going to be tempted. I can't tell you how many Nazarene pastors I've counseled in some of these areas over the years. Areas of pornography, sexual sin, uh, uh, with, with drinking, with drugs, everything that everyone else does. We need to understand that when Satan finds our weakness, he'll beat us up with it Unless we learn to turn it over to God. And, and so, you need to admit it. You need to own up to it. And realize you're not going to be able to handle it, whatever it is. And give God the opportunity to get you through. But here's the cool deal, friends. Here's the amazing promise of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, God is faithful. Everyone says, say faithful with me. Faithful, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, beyond what you can handle. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way so that you can stand up under it. What a great promise. God never allows anything to be on you or puts anything on you that He won't give you the strength to be able to handle it. You just say, well, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't help myself. Want a bad? You say... It was too strong a temptation. I, I, I just couldn't help myself. And God says, that is absolutely not true. You're depending on yourself and not God. God says, I will make a way out for you, whatever it is. The fact is, there is hope. There is a way out if you'll just let God help you. You know, what is the, the trap that Satan has you tied into now? What is it that you want so badly in your life that you're willing to compromise to get it? It could be a promotion. It could be a, a thrill. A lot of you are students, and I don't need to tell you about dealing with tests and all that kind of stuff. But you need to just confess it to God. The time to deal with temptation is right at the beginning. Nip it in the bud in the desire stage. Martin Luther said, you know, we can't keep the birds from flying over our heads, but we can keep them from putting a nest in our hair. And it's absolutely true. And, and, and it becomes a desire in our heart. And we haven't sinned, but then that desire moves on. And we start thinking about that temptation, and we start dwelling on it. And we get to the point to where we say, I would if I could. Friends, let me just share a couple resources as we wrap up. Simple things that you can do. First of all, you need to have fellowship with other Christians. God designed us so that we're not to be Lone Ranger Christians. We, we need our tunnel. We need others with us. 
We were not meant to fight the battles of life alone. We need to be involved with some Christian friends. I want to encourage you, get involved in a, in a Bible study somewhere, a small group, an accountability group. You need a place where you can absolutely just share a gut level. You need some friends that you can absolutely trust. And just be able to get together and say, man, I, I am just struggling with this so much. Because if you try to hold it in, it will come out. And you will go down. You need to have Christian friends and fellowships. Secondly, you need to get into God's Word. You need to get into God's Word. You know, James says we need to know the truth. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus is the truth. Get to know Him. I've discovered that if I get into God's Word, God's words, words get into me. The more I get into God's Word, the more God's Word gets into me. And the more I have God's Word in me, I have the ability, not on my own, but I have His ability working within me. I want you to just bow your heads right now. And you can relax. We're not going to put anyone on the spot. But I do know that in a group this size, and it doesn't matter what your age you're dealing with some kind of temptation, some kind of problem. And I want to give you the chance right now to just get it under control. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place with your power. We thank you that you may convict us, but you never condemn us. And you're always here to give us a way out. So I pray for every person here right now, whatever they're dealing with, that they will simply own up to it and admit it to you and just say, Lord, here's a problem and I'm really struggling and I've, I'm just bombed out and I need your help. And just share that with the Lord. And then just say, Jesus Christ, come and help me in that area. Help me to refocus and get a new direction. And Lord, just help me to get involved with some Christian friends that'll hold me up, that'll encourage me that will hold me accountable in that area. And He will. And He'll give you strength. And here's a hard one. Make a commitment to get into the Word more than you are now. He's not asking for a certain number of hours a week, but He does want you to get into His Word. So think about that hard and strong. And make a commitment. Lord, I... I thank you that even when I mess up and I'm not in your word, you're always there for me. But when I do get into your word, you make a difference in my life. But also, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're not going to have a chance at overcoming all this stuff. So I want to encourage you right now to simply, in your own words to God, just say, I'm sorry I messed up. I'm sorry I've done things that are contrary to your will and your word. And I want to ask you for forgiveness right now. And Scripture tells us if we ask for forgiveness, He's faithful and just and will forgive us of anything, big or small, makes no difference to God. He can handle it all. And then ask Jesus to come into your life. And when He comes in, He will give you the strength and the power 
to live the life that not only He wants you to live, but that you really want to live. Lord, if, if anyone made that decision, I pray that you would just give them the assurance that you'll never leave them, that you'll never forsake them, that you'll always be there for them. And so we ask that as we wrap up this service, Lord, that you would just come in a very special way and do some really neat things in our lives as we worship you.